This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Exodus chapter 23, and we're finishing out the instructions that God gave Israel as they're going into the promised land as well. They're not going to make it there because they're going to rebel against God. But as God had prepared for them to go into the promised land, we're going to we're going to see they're going to have the covenant and they're going to do a lot of things that that they should have done to enter into the promised land, but God has given them instructions of how to live and how to set themselves up so that they can be blessed, so that they can be seen by God. As they're going out, there's a couple of things that he says here that have allusions to Jesus, definitely point us in the direction of Jesus, but they also give us some practical understandings of how we're to worship him and some practical understandings of how we're to well live our lives. And as we go through this, I want to give you, I want to give you what the very, just what he expected from them and then how it relates to the rest of scripture, mainly Jesus. And then I want to say how it ought to relate to your life. And then at the end, I'm going to say something about a verse that we really have trouble with because we really don't really know what it means. We're going to, we're going to discuss all this because it probably is some saying that they had back then that we just don't know. Anyway, he says, do not offer, this is verse 18 of chapter 23, do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Now that is a... It's one of those passages where you're reading it and you go, I don't really know what this means. Let's just break it down because it's important. All right. So obviously there's a blood of a sacrifice. Okay. And we understand from the New Testament perspective, we understand that blood sacrifices in the Old Testament were foreshadowings of the final blood sacrifice that God was going to require of man, and he was going to provide that sacrifice himself in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that blood sacrifices point to Jesus. They point us to the, and I talked about this actually this Sunday in worship in detail about how Jesus was the one that was put in place of Barabbas going to the cross and Barabbas was Barabbas was the one that got up that morning expecting to go and hang on a tree because he was he was a he was a robber and he had led a rebellion and he'd murdered some Roman soldiers and some Romans and he was going to the cross and just like the scapegoat they placed their hands on Jesus and and Barabbas is replaced by Jesus and so Jesus is the penal, and that word stands for penalty, he is the penal substitutionary, meaning he substituted for us atonement, meaning he is he is appeasing God's wrath and judgment against us, atoning sacrifice. And blood sacrifices in the Old Testament, all of them, 
are in some way giving you a picture of who and what the complete final and perfect blood sacrifice would be. And that's the best way for me to describe it in a very theological way, but it's an easy way to understand it. Jesus was the penalty. His sacrifice was the penalty for something that was substituted. And he was the substitution, and it substituted for our penalty. And he was a sacrifice, meaning he, he was, he was uh, killed and his uh, blood was shed for our sins and and to pay the price for sins. And one of the key verses in the Roman road is, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's this points to that, but it says, don't offer this in a certain way. And so that's important. So what is he saying? Not to offer. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice. If we ended there, then we wouldn't understand why Jesus had to die. He said, along to me, along with anything containing yeast. Oh, he's not saying don't offer the sacrifice. He's saying don't offer the sacrifice with anything containing yeast. What does yeast represent? If you do a pretty deep dive in the scripture, a yeast represents sin. It is a picture of sin. And if you think about it, 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 it has all the hallmarks of sin. It tastes good for a moment when you first, a yeast roll and everybody, really everybody, it seems, is addicted to yeast rolls. If you put them out there on the table, they're going to get eat up, except for folks who realize that is terrible for me. And even if I do realize it, sometimes I can't help it. I grab one. And my wife and my daughters, they there's nothing they can do about it. They have to. My my oldest daughter would eat a yeast roll and to and put enough butter on it till she was sick when she was a little bitty girl. She just loved them, and everybody loves them. Nobody, there's not anybody who doesn't love them. But first, they're not good for you because they really just blow up in your stomach, and they're fattening, and they're there's just nothing good about them. There, except for they're good. Other than that, there's really nothing really of value to them. And if you think about them, what are they? They're bread with a lot of yeast in it, really pure flour with a lot of yeast in it. And the yeast makes it expand out. And what's expanding it? It's just, it's just air. It's air that's in there. And so it makes it, makes it just so fluffy and so hot and good. I'm getting hungry as I'm talking about it. But the truth is, is that that's what it is. It's, it's a lot of nothingness. It, it's just, and it ultimately, it in the end, you have to spend hours and hours on a treadmill to get rid of it. And so it's bad for you. It appears good, but it's bad for you. And that's what sin does. Sin seems pleasure. Bible says that sin is pleasurable, but for a moment, but in the end, it leads to death. And I think that is, I think you can really say, what is the picture of Sin that's really understandable in that verse, it's the yeast roll. Sin's but pleasurable for a moment, but then in, in the end, it leads to death. And I think my older daughter can't eat yeast rolls now because she got sick off of them so much when she was younger. And it is, it's just that way. It's that way in, in life. And and sin would have been, you'd say, well, why would they offer a yeast with a blood sacrifice? Because they would offer several things as a sacrifice. They would have a blood sacrifice, which in some way, in however the way they were doing that sacrifice at that time, gave us a picture of Christ. And then they would offer grain offerings. And a lot of times that those took the form of cakes or, or some kind of baked good. And they would offer those together. And the baked good was not to contain yeast. And the reason it wasn't to contain yeast 
is because yeast is a picture of sin. And obviously, if this is a picture of Christ, Christ was the perfect blood sacrifice. He was the final sacrifice, and he was sinless. And so we don't want a picture. And by the way, what was the purpose of that sacrifice? It's not just for the purpose of God appeasing his wrath. It's also for the purpose of us having back the relationship that God always intended for us to have. And oftentimes, they would offer a sacrifice and then a a blood sacrifice for sin, but then they'd offer sacrifice for fellowship. And those were the grain offerings. Every grain offering that you see in the Bible, every offering that was of cakes, or they talk about raisin cakes and things like that. And I can eat a raisin cake now. I love one of those too. And so if it was one of those sacrifices, then it was a atoning sacrifice and a fellowship offering. And that's really, when you put them all together, that's really the plan of God. If you think about it, that all of that together is a picture of God's perfect plan for us. He appeases his wrath by his son's blood, and then he gives us relationship with him and fellowship with him. And so they would sacrifice that on the altar. altar. They would burn out the fat. And the that and the fat always was the goodness. It is the it is a picture of the goodness of the sacrifice. They would burn it out, and they would eat the meat without the fat. And now you could eat obviously there's gonna be a little bit of fat there. Uh, you're gonna eat the meat without the fat, and you're gonna eat the 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 grain or bread or baked good offering without yeast. And so they would have a meal there. And that meal was a perfect picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he says, do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. Kind of pretty easy instruction, right? But even the easy instruction has great significant meaning for us. He says, and and the fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning, meaning don't keep that fat Either it's going to remain in the sacrifice and not totally get burnt out, and you need to eat it. Don't leave it till the morning. We're not. This is not an ongoing sacrifice. And and by the way, Jesus didn't hang on that tree till the morning either, did he? he? Says it's do not the fat of my festival offering must not be kept until morning. It must be completely burned up, and that's that's true. God's wrath against humanity didn't last through a night. It didn't go through the night. It didn't even make it to the night. It was burnt up on a tree. It was burnt up on a tree on Calvary's tree. And and by the time evening came, Jesus was in the tomb. What a fabulous picture of what God's plan was for Jesus. And he's giving these pictures in their festival celebrations. Don't let the fat, the goodness of that sacrifice remain until morning. Don't let it remain on the tree until morning. It's going to be, it's going to be burned up and spit completely on the cross. That's why Jesus is the complete sacrifice. He's the final and f- fulfilling sacrifice of, of God's toning sacrifice of God's wrath. And so, wow, that's that's a great picture, beautiful picture. He says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soul. Now, one of the things he's saying here is don't bring me, in fact, the whole book of Malachi, the last book of of the Old Testament, is a book about people bringing less than their best to God. And I'm gonna say this to you. We do that a lot on Sunday. Sunday is oftentimes our 
you know, our default is to go to church. If anything else comes up, we're going somewhere else. But Sunday is where we meet together and offer ourselves as sacrifices to God. It is how we corporately come together as they did in these festivals. They did it for week-long festivals three times a year. We do it every Sunday. We do it 52 weeks a year. Every Sunday we meet together. And oftentimes we bring our, we bring our sacrifice as if it's a secondary something we might do or might not do. We do that a lot with our lives and it's costly for us. It, it really is. He, he says, you got to bring your, the first fruit, the best to me. When you bring me my, your best, you always receive my best. And when you don't, what you're doing is you're disdaining God's uh, blessings. You're disdaining his fellowship. You're disdaining the relationship you have with him. So it says, bring the best of the first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord, your God. Bring absolutely what matters the most. Bring the best to me. And then he says this phrase that we just don't have a good grasp on, okay? And it's, do not cook a young goat in mother's milk. Now, there, it, there historically, there has been a, a feeling or a thought that this refers to some Canaanite sacrificial tradition that God's saying, don't bring the Canaanite religion into our, into my sacrificial system. Do not bring that in because it's, it's an abomination to me, especially because the Canaanites practice child sacrifice and anything that had to do with Canaanite religion. And by the way, that, that religion, uh, that re paganism has spread throughout the whole world from that time, from the time of the Canaanites, from the time of the Iron Age, the uh, Bronze Age in the Middle Middle East and in, in Europe. He says, don't bring anything that has to do with that into my sacrifice. Now, that's a, that that could be the case. I'm not saying that's not the case. The problem is we have no evidence of it. And when, we, when I say we have no evidence of it, there's no archaeological evidence of this practice taking place. And there's no archaeological evidence. There's no written evidence anywhere, ancient text that talks about this practice of cooking a young goat in the, in the mother's milk and that being a part of any kind of religious system. It very well could be, and there's possibility that it is, but the truth is, and when I tell you stuff here on this Bible study, I'm, I'm going to give you what we understand. If there's any ancient text that would refer to that, I'll tell you. And if there's uh, if there's any archaeological evidence that helps us understand Scripture, obviously we're going to use that to, to more fulfill because we're progressing in our revelation as we learn and figure out more things. We're figuring out how more true God's Word is each and every day. Now, I don't know how God's Word can be more true when it's all true, but in our understanding, it becomes more true. We just, the more we know, the more we seek out, the more we look through, we realize the more we see God. And so we progress in this. And this revelation, it doesn't mean anything. Now, there's another thing that you could look in. And this phrase is used actually three times in Scripture. It's used here. It's used in Deuteronomy. And two of the times, it actually is the whole verse of verse 19, bring the best of your first fruits of your soul to the house of the Lord, your God. And then elsewhere, uh, in the other place, and I'm forgetting just off the top of my head where it's at, but this phrase, do not cook your young goat and its mother milk, it says that, and then it talks about <clears throat> offering that has to do with your with the year's grain offering. And it, it in, in that verse, it says, don't mix the old grain offering of last year, the grain from last year with this year's grain offering. What it's saying is each year bring the best of your grain at that year. 
And this first fruits offering is very similar to the year's grain offering. Those would have to do with the festivals. One of them would be the festival of the, at the end of the year of the final harvest. And the best of the first fruits is the festival, is the in-gathering festival. Remember, we've got those two festivals, Shavuot and the other one that I can't pronounce, all of them. Anyway, as you're studying through them, you remember we had the ingathering and then the final harvest festival. This verse deals with the ingathering. Bring the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord and bring the best. And the other verse <clears throat> that has this, do not cook your young goat in its mother's milk, it deals with the final harvest festival. And it says, don't do that, but and don't mix the final harvest. Don't fit mix the grain of that with the grain of last year's offering. What he's saying is, don't bring me leftovers. And don't bring me, don't bring me, when you bring me your bed, bring me your first fruits. Don't bring me the stuff that's rotten or the crows have eaten a little bit of it. Bring the very best to me. And <clears throat> this likely has to do with, if you notice, you've got a young goat in its mother's milk. So mother's milk would have been the blessing that mother, when that mother was born, she would have been a blessing from then. And a young goat would be a blessing for today because any animal that they, that gave birth and gave them a new, another animal, that was a blessing. That was a part of the blessings from God. And if you notice, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. It's like mixing those blessings together. And so there's a good reason to believe that this has to do with mixing blessings or bringing God less than the best from this year, from this time. And people say, I was baptized, so and me and God are good. And do you go to church much? We try to go. We'll go sometimes. And and do you read your Bible? Not really. I listen to this big guy on on Facebook sometimes in the morning, and he's doing a Bible study, so I listen to some of that. And every once in a while when they're talking about God on TV or on TikTok or something like that, I listen to that. Me and God are good. No, you're not. You're not, okay? I'm not being ugly about that, but you're not. Because God gave you the best, the very best. He gave you Jesus as a sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice for your sins. And so when we come and we bring him less than our best, we're not doing, we're not doing this relationship. He says, do you not know that you are a living sacrifice? Your life is a sacrifice to God. And when you're just giving him the pittance of what's left over, or when you're giving him last year's best, you're not giving him the best. And basically, I think that's what this little phrase means. Quit giving God leftovers. Quit giving God the best. Do not do that. That that will lead to a stale relationship with God, which will lead to a stale walk with God, which le will lead to a stale life. And that seems reasonable, doesn't it? We, we oftentimes live stale, powerless, hopeless, bound up in sin lives as believers. And that is just not how God made it to be. He didn't. But there's a prescription for it, and that prescription is giving him your very best, giving him what is due him as a loving Lord who has redeemed you. And that means giving him the first and the best of who you are so you can have all the first and the best of who he is. And that's a great trade, by the way. Because the first and best of you compared to the first and best of him, 
it ain't even. It ain't even close. I'd rather have the first and best of God rather than the first and best of me any day of the week. And if you think about it, I'm quite sure you will too. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.